Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161DJ205, Cultural Suicide, from the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 317, July the 6th, 1994. This evening, Douglas Murray, Otto Scott, Mark Rushduni, and I will discuss, first of all, cultural suicide. Cultural suicide comes about when a people lose faith in the moral premises of their culture and they become suicide and turn the society into suicidal ways. About ten years ago, there was an interesting book published, and I do not recall the title, but it was by Amalric, a Russian writer who was a strong dissenter and in and out of prison. He's the man who, about 20 years ago, wrote a book entitled Will the Soviet Union Survive or Outlast 1984? A very important book in which he saw the disintegration from within of the Soviet Union. And in fact, he in that book said the great ally in propping up the Soviet Union was the United States. But in uh, his later book, Amalric described the loss of faith on the part of the people. They no longer believed in the promises that Marxism offered. They no longer believed that there was any hope for them in Soviet society. They had no hope in any sphere. As a result, they became arsonists. Their despair would have an outlet and their hostility to the general culture and burning down buildings, beginning with their own. They were called, in Russia, Red Roosters. I thought of that again, and of cultural suicide, when I heard someone say on television that having AIDS was a badge of honor. It's difficult to imagine a more suicidal statement than that. We have a great many people now who are suicidal. We are told by experts that a great deal of automobile collisions are caused by people who are rather suicidal. And Dorothy and I have seen an example of that which was horrifying a man deliberately ramming another car. So we have a culture in which people have lost hope. They no longer believe in the ideas that mark their society, the liberal hope in the state as man's savior. And therefore they become suicidal in all that they do. Well, with that brief introduction, Douglas, would you like to uh, continue? Well, along the same line, Otto and I were discussing uh, earlier, the uh, people in this country have been fed a continuous diet day and night of negative uh, thinking and devaluing of American citizenship and uh, 
what was considered the norm in the American way of life 30 or 40 years ago. And uh, this constant propaganda effort on the part of the liberal left uh, to persuade people that this country and what it stands for is no longer valid, plus the rapid deindustrialization within one generation of this country, which has taken away the jobs and uh, separated family members uh, uh, and uh, cause people to uh, separate families to separate by long distances is uh, just it's destroyed the fabric and those people that are who do not have faith do not have some uh, resources to uh, fall back on uh, they're the first ones to to go over the edge they're the ones that ram the cars that uh, commit the senseless crimes uh, in effect, uh, they're just, uh, uh, they've lost all hope and uh, they're ready to commit suicide because uh, the, in their mind, I believe the peace of death is preferable to the pain of life. And it's, uh, I've seen quite a bit of it in the past uh uh, 20 to 25 years working in law enforcement, you see people who just do unrealistic things, just irrational things to themselves. And uh, when they finally calm down a little bit and you try to ask them the, uh, the reason for this, and uh, they just uh, generally mumble something to the effect that uh, they can't take it anymore. And uh, you see people throughout uh, our society that have simply given up. They've given up on the political system. They've given up on the uh, uh, academic uh, system. Uh, they no longer have any faith in what any politician says. As far as they're concerned, uh, they're all liars. Uh, and uh, they have no faith in the, uh, in the legal system. Uh, it's become very arbitrary, very capricious, and the entire fabric of our society has just been <clears throat> rendered uh, inoperative in the minds of a large segment of our population. Otto? <clears throat> well, those who have done so much <clears throat> to create that sentiment would be shocked to hear you say it because they seem to have the attitude that they can dump all the acid they want onto the country and the rest of us will just keep our heads down and work and believe that everything is fine. I've seen some people express that sort of dissolution, dissolution in the, on TV and the host gets very shocked. Couldn't be so. On the other hand, we have what we, I think we have, two levels at work. We have a very high technological level, which is standardized time. It has eliminated space. We have instantaneous faxes so forth. We have more and more a technological, governmental, commercial, social, scientific elite who think everything is wonderful because they're doing very well. And we have what Spengler predicted, the growth of a fellaheen. We have people that no longer fit. They haven't the marketable skills. They haven't continued in school long enough to acquire them. <clears throat> we have a uh, racial minority which no longer believes, excepting for a minority, in trying to get educated. They think it's too white. So we have here what we're really talking about is not simply two countries, black and white, 
up and uh, up and down. We're talking about a multiplicity of groups. We're talking about the Asians. We're talking about the Hispanics. This, you don't hear much about the Hispanics, but they're doing quite well. They're earning a living. They're taking care of themselves. They're better off than they were in Mexico. They don't pay as much attention to the rest of us as you might think, in my opinion, because they never did. In Mexico, they didn't pay any attention to the elite. Their children may, but so far, there's not much sign of that. So what we're really talking about is several countries in formation. And cultures don't disappear, they change. And it's not clear what we're changing into. Well, it seems to me that the first culture that self-destructed was that of the Garden of Eden. It wasn't an intentional, so in one case it wasn't suicidal, but it was self-destructive. It was self-destructive because they rebelled against God. And any time a culture rebels against God, it's headed down a dead end. And that's what we're doing. We're abandoning our Christian foundation. We're abandoning Christian morality. We're abandoning everything Christian, and we're doing it quite consciously as a culture. And the downward spiral we see in our economy, in our morals, the disintegration we have of communities, I think is all directly traceable to the fact that we don't have a common faith. And we certainly don't have any type of belief system that's rooted in anything uh, eternal. Uh, Adam and Eve wanted to be as gods. They thought they were improving themselves, like liberals probably genuinely believe they're improving us. But nevertheless, what they did was, was destructive. And if suicide is, is often characterized, first of all, by people lose hope, that's already been men mentioned. But the disintegration of our society, if we look what it's doing to, to major groups, to youth, our edu their education means very little or nothing. They can get out of school and they may not know anything. It, whatever they know may not be useful to get a career. And youth have lost hope. So why not be consumed by everything irrelevant, rock music, drugs, entertainment? Men very often cannot find jobs that you would call their calling. Many men who have had careers have found that they've been ended and they're middle-aged or uh, beyond and suddenly they have no job and no future and no savings. Women have been taught that childbearing in the home is, is non-productive and they should look outside the home for fulfillment and they haven't found fulfillment there. So our culture has no hope because everything that was once considered a hope has been pulled out from under them or told or they've been told that it's invalid and so our culture has become self-destructive and something else that's often characteristic of people who are suicidal they often talk of just killing themselves sometimes before they do it they sound out the idea and sometimes people they say people don't take them people don't take them seriously when they talk of suicide and they only think about it only is uh, is apparent that they were serious because people would call it after they uh, destroy themselves but much in our culture much of our philosophy is self-destructive environmentalists even talk of, of removing man from major parts of the earth our pop philosophies and, and um, ideologies today are often, at face value, self-destructive. 
So man is talking of destroying himself. Man, according to the environmental, environmentalist, is the problem. One of the problems I see is far, far too much credibility is given statements from university, people in universities. Uh, every day they're trumpeting some idea which somebody is, you know, just turning over in their mind to see whether or not it looks good, and suddenly the media seizes on it as the wave of the future. And uh, this confuses a lot of people because these are untried, unproven uh, approaches and uh, they generally take away something but they give nothing in return and that's what disorients people they lose their centering they lose their moral centering uh, with situational ethics uh, when they lose their job they lose their self-esteem and it doesn't take much for someone without much education uh, to feel like they've lost it all and that life is hopeless Since World War II, especially after 1960, several writers said that pornography had changed its meaning. Before, pornography had reference to uh, perverted and abnormal interest and depiction in various ways of sexuality. But after about 1960, the new pornography became anything Christian, so that it was regarded as intellectually disreputable to talk in a specifically Christian way, to represent Christian civilization in what you stood for, so that uh, more and more people who are Christians and Christian scholars began avoiding anything that specifically referred to Christianity or Christ, as though somehow this were taboo and in bad taste. What had happened, of course, was that our civilization had shifted from being centered on Christian man as the maker, the shaper of society, to economic man. With World War II, when it ended, uh, or towards the last, Peter Drucker said it was the end of economic man, but that it would be uh, followed by industrial man, a more highly technological concept of the same faith in economics. And of course, with this, politically, there came cradle-to-grave security promised by the state. Well, I call attention to that because what I've seen lately and what I've heard from a few who have written some rather grim letters is that the old economic faith is gone and the most bitter part of it is that all the security that was promised, all kinds of unemployment benefits, health benefits, and so on and so forth, have now gone down the tubes. Here in California, we saw it. The Walmart pattern and the Postal Service pattern has been adopted, and one of California's bigger employees, the Bank of America, has switched to it. The Bank of America has 25,000 plus employees. 80% of these are now part-time. Bank of America recorded for last year its biggest earnings, 
precisely because it no longer has to pay all these benefits. Well, the bitterness on the part of workers, not only for the Bank of America, but for other groups that are switching to this, is intense because they are now looking for part-time work with uh, McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken, low-paying jobs to supplement their part-time bank money, and they have none of the benefits. They would gladly give up the benefits of the law permitted in order to have a full-time job. But they don't have it. And as a result, the so-called economic recovery that is being talked about is an economic recovery which has sliced a sizable percent of the uh, working sector in the hours of their work and reduce them to part-time workers. Now, I submit that this situation was created by all the security-oriented federal legislation. It is creating not only massive insecurity with millions of people, but it is cultural suicide. The loss of faith in what Washington has to offer, the bitterness, the feeling that they have no future now is very great. Well, I wrote about this for the Calcedon Report. Yes. I wrote about the shift in industrialization from the first-runner countries, England, France, Western Europe, the United States, Germany, etc., into the third world. And there, this is an almost inevitable sequence. As the third world industrializes, and this beginning with Asia, but not limited to Asia, because Latin America is beginning to show signs of industrialization, you have the largest steel plant in the world, I believe, is in Venezuela. And you have a lot of imports coming in from all over. American wages will continue to go down because in order to be competitive in the world that the government prefers, we could, we could, of course, pull in our international first aid we could stop giving the money that we can't afford to other countries. And we could stop encouraging our own manufacturers to move to other countries. We could put up high tariffs, and we could probably maintain ourselves with high wages. We've got the biggest market in the world for an indefinite period of time. But it would run against all the liberal shibboleths it would bring to an end the nonsense that we in the United States were put on earth to improve the lot of other, other people. This seems to be an embedded feeling that the liberal elite conveys, that it's our duty to take care of all the Haitians here, to bring in everybody from the Soviet Union that can no longer call themselves refugees because there's nothing to plea, flee from, but they're still coming in, etc. Well, we, since we've chosen not to do that, it means that we're going to have an upper class which is incredibly rich, which has already occurred, and we're going to have a middle class that will fall into the working class and the working class wages will continue to go down. Now this, this requires a government which is extremely powerful because otherwise you run into rebellion. And our government is in the process of enacting more legislation around the clock 
they're enacting rules and regulations and laws that they don't even read. And we're, the new crime bill, for instance, is going to have many different capital punishments in it, and they will all be for doing anything to an official. They will not increase the safety of the people in the street. They'll get to that later. That will come. Unless, of course, the people recall that they were told when they grew up that they had certain inalienable rights and decide to retake them. And I would, I've looked upon that as a very favorable sign because that would be a sign of life. And no culture, I think the word suicide is pretty good because cultures have to do themselves in. You can't be defeated by somebody else. You have to, you have to sort of agree with the defeat. Yeah, but are we a culture truly? in the United States? Well, we have about 70% of the American majority. They've been trying to tell us that we're <laughs> no longer here. But 70% is the American majority, and it's still here. And for that matter, we have immigrants who share in the American belief, in the American traditions, and who want to be part of it. So we can't say that all the people who've come in have been against us, a great many are not, but we have no voice and we don't have a good intellectual presence. We've been frozen out, you might say, and I say we, I'm talking now about Christian intellectuals mainly, we've been frozen out of the public arena. You know, the current administration is trying to hasten that process along. Well, now with their with their uh, terrible anger against the religious right, they've come out of the bushes. Well, the hostility is there, but men have always had hostility to face. The world has never been easy in that respect. It's the despair, the growing sense of hopelessness that is so ugly in our time. We've seen it developing. It first began in the urban context with regard to urban politics. You can't fight City Hall. Now it's with regard to the national level and with regard to almost everything in the country. A disillusionment with education, with the churches, with the universities. They feel that wherever they turn, the institutions of the country are a threat to them. They are destructive of the quality of life. Well, that sort of sentiment should not be encouraged. It should be stamped out. <laughs> I'm, I'm opposed to that with every fiber of my being. I think that where it's true the universities have been taken over by idiots, but if we were to abolish tenure, we could throw them out. We could get control back. If the uh, next elections go as they appear to go, there'll be an awful lot of dumbbells that are going to leave Congress at long last. And what men have done, other men can undo. That's very, very true. Uh, and I hope that process of undoing will begin before the end of the year. But with the economic crisis deepening. While there are, I'm very happy to report, a great many uh, zealous Christian uh, young men across the country who are very resourceful in trying to create a new job. 
you have a, a growing segment that because of their age are cut out of the job market and that's where the trouble is these have been the more stable people in our society well we went through this in the 30s <coughs> unfortunately we got Mr. Roosevelt yes Mr. Roosevelt's idea of helping business was to handcuff it hands and foot and then wait for it to run. He applied regulations all over the place. If we took the other hope, other, other step of deregulating, a lot of the things that have been done could be undone. For instance, the Supreme Court wiped out the slander laws, and that gave us this filthy-minded press that we've got. We could enact the slander laws again and forbid the Supreme Court to touch them, and that would provide some discipline for the press, and I would say that they should have teeth. If the press prints something that is untrue. The reporter and the editor ought to go to jail for a while, and perhaps the publisher as well. And it wouldn't take too long to get a responsible press. There's a whole series of actions which have been done which could be undone. The biggest thing, of course, would be to get rid of our bureaucracy. And the bureaucracy is unconstitutional. Everybody knows it. Congress had no constitutional authority to create a single agency. It is supposed to enact the laws for the country. It isn't supposed to create anybody that enacts laws in their place. So we could, we could do a lot of things. Just the other day I read a long biographical essay about a prominent American intellectual writer and conservative, now dead for some years. He was a thoroughly uh, courageous and able man. But what he believed was such a mishmash of uh, a few things from the Bible, a great deal from pagan mythology and philosophy, a great deal from Thoreau and Emerson, and uh, a number of other thinkers tossed in. Now. One of the things that has marked the uh, right, Christian and non-Christian, and conservatism, Christian and non-Christian, has been precisely this syncretistic approach to things. They will pick ideas out of every uh, context imaginable. And, for example, I've tried to argue with some conservatives, this goes back 20, 30 years, that Emerson is not the great white father of conservatism, that his premises were radically anti-Christian and radically to the left in their logical implications. And, of course, Otto has pointed out on other easy chairs that Nietzsche was profoundly influenced uh, by Emerson. And the whole sexual revolution came out of Emerson and Nietzsche and others of his disciples like Whitman. So we've had a suicidal direction precisely in that segment of the population that should be salt, a preserving agent. The Christians on the one hand and the conservatives on the other. 
One of the things that marks the Christian community is a lack of good systematic theology. They do not think systematically. Their thinking is uh, a kind of smorgasbord of ideas picked up from here and there without any coherence. And because of that fact, we have lost to the opposition because at the heart of the opposition has been Marxism. Marxism is a systematic, reasoned faith. Deny the basic premise and it crumbles. But once you accept its basic premise, everything else follows logically. It therefore has had a great deal of power and is powerful still on the intellectual scene, even though perhaps, perhaps it has taken a bit of a beating on the political scene. So we've had a suicide, a cultural suicide, because too many people really don't know what they believe. And they will insist that uh, an idea that is radically anti-Christian is good Christianity. One of the worst, of course, is that the Bible teaches us to hate the sin and love the sinner. That's good Greek thinking. Yeah, how do you separate them? Exactly. Well, the... Going back to the political, the, the founders really put together what the English call the interregnum, and which was really the Cromwell's Republic. They didn't take all of it, but they took a good part. And if we had stuck with it, we probably would be in pretty good shape. It wasn't perfect, but it was functioning. It's been totally gutted. Yes. Totally gutted. Not a piece of it remains that I can think of. Not one. The O.J. Simpson trial is interesting because since he is charged with a criminal offense, he has more basic rights than an ordinary citizen. If somebody throws a marijuana cigarette into a citizen's home, that man could lose his home without a search warrant. Well, I'll take it back. He can get, they can get a warrant against the house, mm -hmm. not against the occupant. So they take the house, the house being guilty. This is a very strange twist that's going on. And your comment that people don't know what they believe is very pertinent because it means they don't know what to stand up for. Yes. And they don't know when to stand up. They don't know the difference between right and wrong mm -hmm. in a basic sense. Well, justice is being dropped steadily because extraneous elements foreign to the crime are being used as a basis for prosecution. I should have clipped out the item, but there was an item the other day that a man who had uh, committed a murder was going to be tried not only for that, but as a hate crime, which would make his... You're supposed to like the people you murder? Well, there was a difference of race. I see. Well, that's, that's the new insurance policy. If they can't get you under state law, like the two police officers in Southern California, that uh, the Rodney King yes. uh, trial, why then the federal government uh, can do an end run around state uh, law and prosecution and get you for a federal crime under the hate laws. 
Well, if there are some who do know the difference between right and wrong and can express it, all is not lost. Well, the only real weapon that, that people have, whether they're disillusioned or disen feel that they're disenfranchised, is at the ballot box. Uh, people are shut out of the... Uh, the legal process, they're shut out of the uh, educational process. Uh, any parent that goes to a public school that raises their hand or raises their voice in opposition to what the school is doing is uh, demeaned and, uh, in effect, uh, put on the margin. Uh, they're ridiculed. Their uh, qualifications for even asking a question are attacked. Uh, you go to a uh, it's very instructive, and uh, I've been subjected to this at a local high school here. And uh, it's very instructive, the process that they use to put you on the margin when you take issue with what they're doing in the public school. But a lot of these things that you're talking about, Emerson and Nietzsche and so forth, are taught without balance in the, in the universities, in lower division uh, universities now. At, at one time, uh, at least when I went to high school, uh, Emerson was taught in, in high school and mm -hmm. balancing philosophies. But now uh, uh, they're never mentioned in high school, and uh, they get it in lower division university work, but without balance. Secular humanist point of view is the only thing that's taught. The, the Marxist point of view is the only thing that's taught in the public school. There is no balance. You talk to high school uh, kids today, they're attending public high school, and it's chilling. The one-sided education that they're getting is, is really not an education. It is a, a, uh, a mechanized indoctrination. Well, the Soviets tried it to the nth degree, and it didn't work. Now, there's the Mandelstam, the poet's widow, practically gave up. He disappeared into the Siberia. <clears throat> Before he left, he forced her to memorize all his poems. He felt that he was going to go, and he felt that the world being what it is, that she would probably be spared. Because women aren't sent away the way men are. They're not usually executed against the wall or anything else. Despite what the feminists think, it's men who know what suffering is all about. In any event, she, uh, she did memorize all his poems. And she, w she went to work in the provinces as a school teacher, elementary school teacher. She was very well educated. And 20 years later, she was absolutely astonished. It might not have been 20 years, but years later, she was absolutely flabbergasted when young people came, reciting his poems and bringing up the old issues and the old questions that young people always have about justice and about this and that and the other thing. And it was she suddenly realized that the human race is a renewable resource. The hunger was there. That's right. Now, a generation, a lot of a generation may be lost or crippled or suffer, but there's always another generation. There's an interesting aspect to that. About uh, 20 years or more, maybe 25 or more ago, a book was written about the uh, Soviet critique of existentialism, which, as they rightly saw, was sweeping the West. And what came through very clearly was that the... Uh, Marxist thinkers in their critique of existentialism and the whole of the Western world were more conservative. So that while one can say they were practicing murders and 
tortures on a massive scale such as we did not have in Western Europe or in the United States, they still felt there was a truth, communism. But they saw in the Western drift into existentialism a total disbelief in anything the attitude being, who knows what's right? Well, that's what's being preached today. Yes. And that the Marxists saw as very deadly, and they did everything to bar existentialism from the Soviet Union. Well, we have a remnant at work. We have the Christian schools, and we have the homeschoolers. Yes. And the homeschoolers are very interesting. These are young people in the, in, the, in the main, because they have young kids, who came to the conclusion that the public school system is a fraud and that the government cannot be trusted. Now, those are two observations which puts them head and shoulders above most young couples. It means that they have brains and they have courage because they have been homeschooling their kids against all odds. And they're almost all under in, involved in a search to improve their own education in order to improve that of their kids, because they know they didn't get one. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is the hope of the country. Yes. Well, it is interesting that uh, two of our men who are here Monday and Tuesday and have charge of the work in Guatemala, Charlie Adams and Dr. Stephen Fretwell have a tremendous interest in homeschools. And when uh, Dr. Fretwell retired, uh, taking an early retirement from his university work as a scientist, he went into training parents to homeschool their children. And he speaks of that with a great deal of delight in having accomplished something there with a number of parents. I think you should, because I think they're going to raise a generation that's going to recapture this country. Yes. And this is where it has to come. It, the middle-aged and the elderly really cannot shape the future. They... Uh, the young have to do this. And in this country, we're very fortunate in the fact that a peaceful revolution is still possible. It doesn't, we don't have to burn the house down in order to improve it. I'll take exception to your statement that it has to be the young to do it. Maybe in the legwork. Mm. But us old-timers, Otto, are <laughs> providing the framework, the ideas, the faith, the rationale for that change. Well, we're certainly going to leave a fair amount of rationale, that's for sure. Mm. But it's, you know, the, the ages of man. I've forgotten now who it was who said that at a certain age you leave administration and you look for God. Now, writers, of course, being too egotistical to stop their work, will continue. But in the main, I think the homeschoolers is the generation that's really going to be the fulcrum, the lever, because their children will know the difference between right and wrong. And the ones that I've met so far remind me of myself as a boy. They're very normal. They're outgoing. They're polite. They're smart. Like normal kids. Mm -hmm. I saw a photograph of Bob Terrell in the in newspaper the other day, and he was driving, smoking a cigar, looking very happy with himself. And his 20-year-old son was in the back of the car. I've never seen such a sullen-looking fellow in my life as a son. 
And we see this all around us. There's sullen young people. I mean, when I was young, I was too happy to be sullen. Well, one uh, woman here locally was two teenagers in the high school uh, said the only happy children she has seen in the community are Christian school children. I believe mm-hmm. it. I'm sure that's true. No, I've seen it. I've seen it. You go drive by the local public high school and <laughs> they look like they're <coughs> getting ready, either going to or coming from a funeral. Gas chambers. Yeah. <laughs> no smiling, no laughing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know that everybody thought it was a joke when uh, you know whoever said it said, "Don't trust anybody over 30." But uh, really, it was a disconnecting mechanism to disconnect the younger generation from uh, uh, the old. Well, that's interesting. I've been doing some work in my library, reorganizing it. And I've run across a collection of things. I had much more, but uh, some of it got uh, lost in a move. A collection of things representing the student revolution and hippie culture. And, of course, one has a title which became quite famous. Due to lack of interest, tomorrow will be canceled. (laughs) Another uh, photographic album with titles to drive home the title of the book, White Trash. trash. They were heralding themselves as white trash because they were rejecting all categories that uh, separated people, uh, defined excellence or goodness, because they wanted none of that. Well, that was the revolutionary effort. Mm -hmm. That was a genuine revolutionary effort Mm -hmm. at the time. It reminds me of the ANC telling their young people in South Africa, the revolution before education. And therefore, Emzamello said, we have in South Africa now a lost generation. Mm-hmm. Well, we have the same thing here. Yeah. We have it especially with the blacks. Mm-hmm. That's where it took root. It took seed. And they turned education into a racial issue. Not entirely, because nothing is entirely. But too many. It's going to be interesting to see how historians of the future view this period, this 30 or 40 years, uh, where this uh, feeling of desperation among the young, uh, futility among the young, how they're going to characterize it. Well, I think with new leadership, and there is some coming up, I regard Howie Phillips as a very promising figure, very promising figure. He's putting together groups across the country, which are new leaders, outlawed by the old leadership, but very vibrant. And I think the pendulum swings. At a certain point in despair, you either die or you get up and start fighting. And I agree to a great extent with what was said when we opened up, and that is that there's a lot of dispirited people in the country. But you can't live that way forever. Well, those people can destroy a country. One or two writers at the time of the beginning of the uh, hippie movement called attention to the parallel to the student revolutionaries in old Russia under the Tsars. They had their own hippie movement. They dressed the same way. It was a repetition. 
And because they destroyed all meaning, they destroyed the distinction between good and evil. They ridiculed such things, for example, as uh, Artsibashev did in the novel Sanin, uh, any taboos with regard to incest. The revolution followed because they had stripped every other area of life of meaning. That's true, but you and I are here, and we've seen that pattern, and we understand it, and we're warning against it. Yes. And they had nobody to warn them. They didn't know what was going to happen. They actually thought they were going to bring in a better world. Not quite. Dostoevsky gave the most devastating portrait ever in The Possessed. That's true, and how many read it? He he was right. He did it. It was a magnificent portrait, and he was writing about people who he saw and who were living at the time, the terrorists, yes. who absolutely terrified the bureaucracy, the Soviet bureaucracy. They killed them on all levels. And then, of course, they got killed themselves. I think the difference is that we have a strong Christian remnant here, that we have a Christian uh, theological position formulated. And we have the knowledge. Yes. In... uh, Old Russia, the theologians were appalling. I've read a bit in the old Russian theologians, and it's a very distressing picture. Well, they were servile instruments of the state. Well, they were also so thoroughly Hellenized that the biblical strand in their thinking was almost nil. No, we do have a great advantage in this country. We have a specific and detailed knowledge of the rise and fall of all kinds of movements and civilizations. We probably know more about the past than any generation that has ever lived. And the fact that it hasn't been disseminated, we can actually lay at the doorstep of indolent individuals who would rather buy another Mercedes than publish a book. Yes, uh, this is a problem that I'm concerned with because our work is growing all over the world. Uh, I can't tell you offhand how many people are working for us. Of course, when they are abroad, $200 is good money in most countries. But the point is, even the Christian community is not interested in investing in ideas, in theology. They want action. They want revival meetings a la Billy Graham. They want a demonstrative kind of show. And that's why millions have been uh, spent by Christians in marches on Washington or on the state capitol and so on and so forth, all of which are funds that could do a great deal to stimulate a rethinking, an intellectual revival. People have forgotten that the Reformation was the work of scholars. From start to finish, the scholars headed up the Reformation. Luther was a university professor. Calvin was a scholar. So were others of those who were leaders. 
And that's the great weak link. The potential, I think, is here in this country, in the Christian community, if they will wake up and fund ideas. And this is what they are not willing to do. It's the rare person that will contribute to the funding of a book. So our problem is in the intellectual barrenness on all fronts today. Even if you go into the best of the universities or the most highly regarded, the level of thinking there is for the generality, rather appalling. It's true. It's true. There's been a great decline. But <clears throat> there's a great hunger building. Yes. And there is a new generation on the horizon. Yes. Uh, Howie Phillips couldn't have done what he's doing this year, ten years ago. I agree. The... Uh, it's something, the, the drop in living standards has an effect. Well, our time is about up. Thank you all for listening. Good night and God bless you. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com.